Uh, today we continue this series on encounters with Christ. Today's a little different. You know, we've been looking at people who in, have encountered Christ in the Gospels. Today, a little different encounter. It's Christ encountering his father, uh, in a sense, and um, his cousin, John the Baptist. So we'll be looking at Christ's baptism. Um, so let me pray, and then, well, let me read the scriptures first, then I'll pray. Just two verses, uh, yeah, two verses today from Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. I'm going to read from a different translation, so just uh, listen instead of looking at the Pew Bible. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. God, we pray that you will take these words from scripture and the meditations of my heart and speak to us a word that we need to hear today. Lord, may your Holy Spirit animate my words so that they may penetrate deep into our hearts and our minds. Lord, may we know that we are your beloved down to the core of our being. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I think one of the innate great yearnings of each and every human heart is to know that our fathers approve of us, that they love us, that they delight in who we are. We need to know this, don't we? That our fathers are proud of us. Wow, we see it in kids all the time, don't we? I mean, you go to a park or to a swimming pool and just watch. Watch the little kids. Daddy, watch me. Watch me. Whether it's jumping in the pool or doing something uh, on the swings or whatever it may be. I remember going to a Little League game with a friend of mine. His son was playing and he got a great, you know, hit, just a good solid hit. And the crowd just, you know, leapt to their feet. Then the bleachers started cheering. And the boy got to first, and then he looked up in the bleachers. And I'll never forget this. Because he was scanning the bleachers, not for everyone that was cheering, but for his dad. It's the way we're made. We need to know that our fathers approve us. We need to know this blessing if you will, that a father can give to a child, to a daughter and son. Psychologists tell us a lot about this, and I see some psychologists here, and I would love to hear what you have to say about this, but this is what I have read, that this approval from our fathers is so very, very important. Um, They tell us that if kids know their fathers accept them, chances are, Better than not, that they will be well-adjusted adults. Be confident. Do well, especially in intimate relationships. If kids do not know this approval, if they don't get this blessing from their fathers, they may have a hard time. They may lack self-confidence and have difficulties in relationships. Definitely can influence how we live life our whole lives. If, they, if 
kids have this and adults have this pervasive feeling of never quite measuring up to their father's expectations. They could spend their entire lives searching for it. You know, we've seen this in, in novels, in movies. I can't think, uh, uh, so many movies have this theme. And we know of people that we've read about by autobiographies where this is something, this seeking approval of, is what drives people to work so hard, to be workaholics. Remember uh, years ago, remember Ted Turner, who started CNN on the Atlanta Braves, you know, one of the wealthiest men in the United States, finally got on the cover of Time magazine. And I remember reading once that he was talking to somebody and held up the magazine and pointed it heavenward towards his father, who was deceased, and said, Is this enough? Is this enough? Very important that we hear these words. These words that the father spoke to Jesus. In our text today, we see that uh, Jesus received this type of approval from his heavenly father. This is right as Jesus is set to begin his public ministry. This is the beginning, really, of his journey to the cross. And as he goes to the River Jordan, there he is baptized by his cousin, John. Now, there's a lot there that we could... That's another sermon that Jesus is baptized by his cousin and that he is even baptized. But we'll save that. We want to focus on these words of approval today. So as Jesus, as it is when we baptize someone in a river, he's dropped down and as the waters wash over him and as he's pulled up, he sees the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descend upon him like a dove. And then this voice from his father, from heaven. You are my son, my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Or it could be, this is my priceless son. I am so deeply pleased with him. You are my son, chosen and marked by love. You are the pride of my life. Jesus needs to hear those words as he begins this three-year journey and all that he goes through during those three years leading to the suffering and death on the cross. He receives this word of affirmation from his father that you are on the right road, that I am pleased with you, that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I am so proud of you. Jesus needs these words as he begins this journey. And that's why God gives them to him. Something else here that I want to focus on and really focus on today. God speaks these words to Jesus that day in the Jordan. But he also speaks these words to you. Do you know that? You are my beloved son. 
You are my beloved daughter. In you, I am well pleased. You see, theologians tell us that at our baptisms, all that was given to Jesus is given to us. We can have the same favor that God had with his only son and enjoy as God's children. Because scriptures tell us many places that we are God's children, his sons and daughters, and that we are pleasing to him. We are adopted. We're his kids. This is my priceless son. You are my priceless daughter. The pride of my life. God speaks those words to you. Now, do you know that? Do you hear those words? We need to hear them. Oh, we need to hear them. You see, we need to hear these words from our earthly biological fathers and mothers. But we need to hear them even more, far more importantly. We need to hear them from our Heavenly Father. We need to hear them from our earthly fathers, but, oh, folks, even more than that, we need to hear them from God the Father. Now, I just have to say this, just from being a pastor for many years and being in counseling with many people, and from my own life. But some of us never received these words from our father. We never really felt them from our biological father. Perhaps our father died. Perhaps he was absent. Perhaps he just couldn't give those words to you. Can I say this as a word of encouragement today? That God's love for us God's delight in who we are can heal those wounds. And see, this is one of the reasons I'm a pastor, to be honest with you. Because God can heal that hurt. You know, there is a trend that's been going on in theology for years now. I mean, I, I encountered it when I was at Princeton from feminist theologians that say we should not address God as the Father well, folks, <laughs> this is how God, Jesus addresses God, is by Father. But they're saying it because so many fathers have been absent, so many fathers have been hurtful and have done horrible things to daughters. And so we can't have this image of God as being the Father. Well, can I just say, I believe God can heal that. And I think God transcends sexuality. God is referred to as a mother, as a hen in the Old Testament. But here it's the father, there's no doubt. You can't change the scriptures. We need a full, robust view of who God is, feminine and masculine. But to just dismiss the masculine image of God, I think, is, is not good. God can heal it. And it needs to be healed. And I know from my own life, you know, I, my parents were divorced when I was very young. My 
Dad moved thousands of miles away. Can I just say one of the great things about being a Christian for me has been experiencing this love that heals us, that redeems us, that makes us whole. I will even be very bold this morning. (laughs) These are the most important words we can ever hear. You know, one of my favorite authors, and really uh, someone who has become a mentor to me because I have read, you know, all his books. His books are great because they're really short, so you really feel like you accomplished something by uh, reading them. Is a guy named Henry Nouwen, who was a Catholic priest, uh, taught at Harvard, taught at Yale. Amazing guy. If you don't know Henry Nouwen's books, you should pick them up. He has really influenced me as both a pastor, as a Christian, And he has such a way of talking about the love of God. And in his book, uh, The Life of the Beloved, which is one of my favorite books of his, he says this. He says, knowing that we are the beloved of God is the, listen to this, the core truth of our existence. That's pretty strong. Knowing that we are the beloved, That God not only loves us, but that God delights in us. That God is fond of us. Is one of the core truths of our existence. In fact, he says, is the core truth of our existence. And this is what he writes. And listen, it's kind of a long passage, but listen carefully. He said, listening to that voice with great inner attentiveness... I hear at my center words that say this. I have called you by name from the very beginning. That's from Ephesians. You are mine and I am yours. You are my beloved on whom my favor rests. I have molded you in the depths of the earth and knitted you together in your mother's womb. I have carved you in the palms of my hands and hidden you in the shadow of my embrace, I look at you with infinite tenderness and care for you, with a care more intimate than that of a mother for her child. That's saying something. I have counted every hair on your head and guided you at every step. Wherever you go, I go with you, and wherever you rest, I keep watch. I will give you food that will satisfy your hunger and drink that will quench your thirst. I will not hide my face from you. You know me as your own, and I know you as my own. You belong to me. Nothing will ever separate us. You know, Nowen wrote this book for a friend, a Jewish friend who was a journalist. I think he wrote for the New York Times and was interviewing him. And after interviewing him on a number of different topics, it kind of went off record. And he said, Henry, you know, explain to me and to my secular New York friends what spirituality, what Christianity is all about. And Henry wrote this book to them. And it was basically this core truth. You're my beloved. In you I find favor. 
Now, here's what's really interesting and so important to notice about these words from this passage in Nouwen's book. Did you notice that the emphasis of these words is definitely on what God does? God's actions, not our actions. I have molded you. I have carved you. I look at you with infinite tenderness over and over and over. Not a hint of what we do. Its emphasis is on God's action and what God does. God chooses us. God adopts us. God finds us. God is faithful in his promises. God is pleased with us because that's who God is. It's not based on the beauty of the object being us. You know, this is why we can baptize infants. It's the justification for it in our tradition. We do baptize infants here. Okay. <laughs> I'm still learning the theology of uh, PCC. You know, people often ask, you know, how can, we, how can we baptize this little infant? It doesn't even know what it's doing. Well, it's this thing we call provenient grace, that God finds us, God chooses us, before we can do anything. Do you see that? It's, it's, it's pure love. God's action. Now, if we can hold on to our baptism and be confident in God's provenient grace, this has a huge effect on how we live, especially as Christians. You know what we can do? We can relax a little bit, can't we? We can be more mellow (laughs) because our salvation, our justification, who we are in Christ is not dependent on what we do. It's this gift. And so what this means in very practical ways, and I see this in churches, the difference. The life we live, if we're confident of this, is not a life, a Christian life, in which we try harder and harder and harder to win God's approval, whether we realize that's what we're doing or not. It's not about us working like crazy to please God and doing all the right things and never making mistakes and being darn near perfect. That's not it. You know, it's funny. The other day, I listened to this this app. It's called Praise You Go. And if you're looking for something, some kind of devotional or something to do in, in the morning, in your time alone with God, this is great. You can do it while you're driving. You can do it while you're on BART. You can do it while you're walking, whatever. It's uh, put out by the Jesuits, I believe. They take a passage of scripture. They read it twice. They give you some questions to think about. Um, beautiful music from all different kinds of music. It lasts about 15 minutes. I recommend it. Last week, it was I was listening to Saturday, which kind of examined the whole week. And it was an imagination exercise. And it said, imagine that Jesus is sitting next to you and you're having a conversation. And I can't remember exactly how it went, but it said, and now Jesus wants to talk to you about something that happened this last week. What is it that Jesus wants to talk to you about? 
And you know what immediately came to my mind? And I feel like I know the love of God pretty well. Was something that I probably wasn't supposed to do, you know? (laughs) Kind of like, Steve, remember that? Boy, that's not where we want to live. We want to live with Jesus saying, you're my beloved. If I had a wallet, your picture would be in my wallet. If I had a refrigerator, your photo would be on my refrigerator. Is that how you see God? You know, God's fond of you. Not, God just doesn't love you unconditionally, kind of this grit love, like, yeah, I love you. <laughs> Do you have the tenderness? Do you know the tenderness of the affection of God? The fondness of God for you? It makes a difference. See, this is where God wants us to live. If you're not, you're, you're so uptight. You're worn out from working so hard. You know those verses in Matthew? Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know who Jesus is directing those verses to? are the religious people who are working so hard to get this approval and it's already done. Everything that can be done is done. Now in the fall, I hope to preach a series on grace and we're going to really go into this. You can relax. Relax. When you live the other way, it's this thing called salvation by works, legalism. It's not the way to live the Christian. You know what? I lived it. It's not very fun. And you do. You get to the point that Jesus was talking about in Matthew 11 where you're just worn out. Because you can't do enough. How good is good enough? God came up with this great idea called grace. Relax. Rest. Know it's all been done. Well, when we know that, Christian life is totally different. Instead of working hard to earn God's love and fondness and approval, you know what? We celebrate the fact that we're already loved. Instead of doing good works to get God's blessing, we realize that God has already given us everything we could ask for, and life becomes a life of gratitude and saying thank you. Instead of worrying about whether we're pleasing to God, we can listen to the voice that says, you are my beloved child. I am so pleased with you. You know, I have a great picture of this. I have a 26-year-old daughter. She just turned 26. She's the greatest daughter in the world. 
<laughs> when she was really young, I, I think she maybe kindergarten, just beginning kindergarten, uh, went into her room to wake her up for school. It took a while to wake her up, but after some time, I finally got her to open her eyes, and she looked at me with those big brown eyes and a big smile, and she said, Daddy, I just had a happy dream. <laughs> I said, oh, really? And see, in our house, Allie always has these really weird dreams, so I thought, okay, what's this one coming? Oh, really? What was your dream about, honey? She said this. This is a long time ago. Daddy... I dreamed that God and Jesus gave me a big hug. <laughs> Emphasis on big hug. Now, I thought a couple things at that moment. I thought, oh my gosh, we got to work on this woman's, this child's Trinitarian theology. I mean, where is the Holy Spirit in this dream, right? <laughs> but fortunately, I was smart enough to realize, no, we got some time to work on that. My second thought was this. Oh, this girl at five years old already knows who she is. She knows this important truth that she is a beloved child of God. That God not only loves her, but delights in her is fond of her. I said to her, wow, Allie, that's a really cool dream. And you know what? I think Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit do hug you every moment of every day of every week, of every month, of every year, of every decade of your life and forever. And they'll never let you go. Brothers and sisters, my dear friends, this is the gospel in very simple form and when we get it, not just here, but it goes those two feet to here, it changes everything. Amen.